as speech pathologists, we, we do really get it. We understand the importance of communication and, and social connections. And it's important to learn that how one way of treating or, or working with a, a client isn't necessarily going to be what works for another client in a different state or from a different tribe. If we've got assessment findings that are robust, then we don't have to make any presumptions. And I strongly believe in the value and worth of what we do and the difference we make. Hello, and welcome to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week, we feature a conversation about an area or topic related to all things speech pathology. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. Hi there, it's Annika. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Speak Up Conversation. Today, I'm so delighted to be chatting about the SHAPE coding system with Dr. Susan Ebbles. Susan is Director of Morehouse Research and Training Institute and is a speech and language therapist with many years of experience working with children with developmental language disorder. She is also the creator of the SHAPE coding system and fun fact, Susan was a keynote speaker at the 2016 Speech Pathology Australia National Conference in those glorious days when we could all travel freely around the world. Thank you so much for joining me all the way from the UK, Susan. Pleased to be here. Now, to start, and just in case any of our listeners are not sure, what actually is the SHAPE coding system and why did you develop it? Uh, it's a, a system to make language visible to children with language disorders. So it breaks down all the grammatical structures of English and shows them in a visual way. So it's got four main aspects to it. It's got the shapes, which are the, the key bit, which are to um, cut the sentence up into its component uh, pieces. And then it's got colours, which are for individual words. So they're the parts of speech. So you've got nouns and verbs and adjectives all in different colours. Um, then it's got a system of arrows for looking at verb tenses. And then it's got um, double and singular lines, single lines for singular plural agreement. And also, if you want to look at gender, you can do things like making the lines dashed if, for feminine, if, if that's useful, which is probably more useful in, in other languages than, than English, but it might be useful for, for pronouns, perhaps. Mm. And why did you develop the system? Well, um, when I started working at Morehouse School, I was working with um, eight to 11-year-olds with severe language disorders, and they were having difficulty with a lot of grammatical structures, um, things like um, understanding passive sentences, so the boy was pushed by the girl and not knowing who was pushing who, um, um, use of tense where they would miss tenses out or they'd use double past tenses, so things like um, did you went shopping, um, I didn't wrote that, um, things like that. And I wanted some way of showing them how these how these aspects of language worked because trying to explain it with more language wasn't really helping them. So the, the example that really got me going in the first place was um, a child that I was working with in class. The teacher said to him, she was trying to elicit the word mug and she said to him, well, what do you put coffee in? And he said, sugar. So he was answering, what do you put in coffee? And she was asking, what do you put coffee in? And the only thing that differed was the word order. So he was obviously understanding the semantics of what and in and putting and coffee, but actually not knowing which what she was asking about. And I was thinking, how am I going to explain this to him? How can I help him to understand the difference between these two questions? 
Um, so the system sort of came out of a clinical issue that I had children that were struggling with comprehension and expression of grammar and they were having difficulties really understanding the language, trying to explain with more language how this worked was a real issue. Well, you've done an amazing job at simplifying something so complex into something visual and easy to understand. I think um, that's just an incredible thing to do because you're right, grammar and word order and tense are really complicated to teach kids. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the most common comment that you get from children when you've introduced it is they say, oh, I see. So they can literally see it. Why did no one show me this before? So it, it just sort of gives them a, a way that they can access and they can actually see what's happening and it doesn't disappear you can, and you can show them how it works. So they seem to, they seem to like it and, and benefit from it. So, so that's good. And so who can actually use the system? I know originally it was um, set up obviously for children with developmental language disorder, but I believe that you've used it with a whole range of different clinical populations. Is that right? So, I mean, most of the research studies are with children with developmental language disorder, but within the, some of the group studies, there are children with hearing impairment and um, diagnosis of ASD as well. Um, but certainly, and also there's a recent study looking at children with complex needs, including children with Down syndrome, hearing impairment, etc. Um, clinically, it the sort of clinical anecdotal reports that I get and from my own experience, it seems to work best with children with DLD, children with hearing impairment and perhaps children with Down syndrome. I've never tried that myself, but people tell me it works quite well with those three groups. And perhaps those are the groups where their visual skills and their language skills are sort of furthest apart. Um, children with autism, I've had more mixed results. Some of them really like it and really benefit and some of them really don't like it because it's not their rule system. So they like a rule-based system, but actually I don't like this rule-based system. So so more mixed results and also not very many results with that, with that group. So yes, I think more DLD, hearing impairment and perhaps Down syndrome. Right. Now I'm going to put myself out there a little bit and admit that this next question is the first question that crossed my mind when I was learning about shape coding. And that is, how is it different from colourful semantics? Okay. Well, um, the shapes of the shape coding system are similar to the colours of colourful semantics. So they work at a similar level, whereas the colours of the shape coding system work at a different level. They work at a word level. Um, so... At a basic level, if you're working at that very low level, they do a similar kind of thing. The main difference is that the shape coding system goes so much further. So I mean, we've recently developed a, a spreadsheet for identifying grammatical targets, which has 133 targets on it and split into four different colour groups, sort of foundational, basic, higher and intermediate and advanced structures. And I think colourful semantics only really covers about half of the base of the foundational ones. So about nine or 10 structures out of 133, whereas the shape coding system can go right on to complex relative clauses. So I think the main difference is the shape coding system goes much further. If you're working at a very basic level of language, there's probably not much to choose between them. They do the same kind of thing. But colourful semantics reaches the end of its usefulness at a certain level of language. And whereas the shape coding system was deliberately developed for children who were already 
beyond that level of language and actually needed this more complex aspect and things like tense and agreement and those more grammatical aspects. So colourful semantics is really focused just on the semantics, sentence semantics, whereas the shape coding system is, looks at all aspects of grammar. And another crucial difference, actually, even at the basic level, um, I think, is between what we do with subjects and objects of sentences. So with colourful semantics, it's based around the question words. So you've got the who questions and the what questions. Whereas in the shape coding system, who and what are combined together. So if it's the subject of the sentence, regardless of whether it's a who or a what, it's in an oval. And if it's the object, it's in a rectangle. So it doesn't matter if you have um, um, John hit the wall or John hit Mary <clears throat> or the car hit Mary or the car hit the wall. They've all got exactly the same structure and they would be shown in the same way using the shape coding system. Whereas in colourful semantics, those would have different colours and they would look like they're all different structures because they've got different who's and what's. So at a basic level, that is the key difference between the two. But the, at a higher level, it's, it's mainly that shape coding system goes a lot further. Absolutely. So how do you actually get started? Are there particular resources that a clinician would need to get started with shape coding? What would you suggest? Well, the minimum that you need is a pen. And, you, and a few toys. So Okay, good. Easy. <laughs> that's, and some knowledge in your head. Um, so you don't actually need anything. I mean, my key resource is a box of laminated shapes, which I can write on with write-on, write-off pens, or I can draw symbols on them, or I can just show them on the table and put my toy figures on them. And then I've got a box of animals. And most of my therapy uses those laminated shapes, some wipe-off wipe off pens and a box of animals. Um, Very easy. There is an app that's a recent development, so you can use an app as well. Um, and the children are responding well to that. They seem to really like it because they're producing their own sentences and it will read it out to you at the end. Um, so that's that's also a useful addition, but it's, it's, it's certainly not essential. The essential is the knowledge you have in your head and the ability to to draw some shapes and play some games so often I would be putting I'd be putting toy animals on the shape so for example things like understanding who pushed who if you've got John pushed Mary or the cow pushed the pig then I'd have the cow on the oval and the pig on the rectangle and then we would read the sentence so the cow I might write pushed and then I'd have the pig on the on the rectangle and then we would act it out. We'd work out, right, who's doing the pushing? Oh, it's the one in the oval. That's the cow. Let's pick him up. Let's walk him along the sentence till he gets to the pig. And then he pushes the pig. Right. So who's pushing the pig? It's the cow. Um, so sort of linking. So I do a lot of actions as well. So it's visual and tangible, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And obviously you can you can adjust it for different levels. So you can make it very, very play based with young children or you can have children standing on shapes. Maybe you have to be careful with which verbs you use then. Um, if they're going to be pushing each other. Um, but uh, so you can walk the sentence like that and act things out. So I would do a lot of showing how the sentence works and then actually acting it out because that focuses on both comprehension and production and I usually do both in parallel so we have a, a, a sentence template made with the shapes now I'm going to say a, a sentence fitting this pattern you act it out now the child says the sentence I act it out so that they're having to do comprehension production comprehension production 
And at the end, we might get to a sort of judgment stage where maybe I start making errors in my production, see if they can correct me. Or I make errors in my comprehension of their sentence. Can they correct me? Because we're hoping that they can start to self-correct themselves as well. Obviously, with older children, you can use writing and you can use worksheets and and things. So you can adapt the way that you actually use it to the children's levels so their literacy levels, their maturity levels, etc. So I know there's a substantial evidence base that's growing for shape coding, but I'm particularly interested in a study that you've recently published with three of our Australian homegrown species, which is Sam Calder, Dr. Mary Clayson, and Associate Professor Suze Laytow from uh, Curtin University. Are you able to chat about the outcomes of that study? Well, there's actually several studies. It's not just one study. So... Um, Sam's done an excellent job as part of his PhD. So those are children aged between five and seven years um, in the LDC in Perth. And um, they've had intervention focusing on past tense using the shape coding system, but also with a, um, additional queuing hierarchy as well. So when they make an error, um, there would be a series of cues that you go through to um, so that eventually the child produces a correct production. Um, And the first study was a uh, case series. So children with different lengths of baseline, and then we've got a baseline period, and then the intervention period, and then the maintenance period. The second study was a randomised control trial um, that had some children who had delayed intervention. So it was actually a crossover randomised control trial. And there was um, the original intervention group made a lot more progress than the control group and then the control group made a similar amount of progress when they had the intervention. So both those studies are published and then there's also um, one that we've got currently under review that's actually combining the two and looking at the difference um, between them because the first study was twice a week intervention and the second was only once a week and actually looking at what's the difference and actually both groups made significant progress but the twice a week made more progress. Um, I think the next question for that is really um, whether once a week for double the number of weeks would be as effective as twice a week. So we got twice a week for 10 weeks or once a week for 10 weeks. But I, I wonder about what about once a week for 20 weeks? That is that more effective? So there's all those questions as well about actually how, how you space things, whether spacing matters or is it just the total amount of intervention that matters? So um, lots of really interesting things come out of that research. So, yeah. Yeah, awesome. Now, where can clinicians go for more information about shape coding? I know you've got a great website. Is there uh, somewhere in particular you'd recommend? Yeah, so we've just launched a new website a couple of weeks ago. So shapecoding.com. So that's easy to remember. And on there, we're putting everything on there now. So this um, spreadsheet for identifying targets, which is free to anybody, is, is on there. And it shows how to shape code every one of those targets as well. Um, and the app is on there too. And we're working on a series of resources, um, which we're going to put in the same place. I know Sam Calder is working on um, the materials from his intervention study, which is a lot more detailed on just on the past tense. So that should be available on the Curtin website at, at some point too. Mm. You do run training courses. Are they available for Australian speech pathologists? I know they're online training courses. Yes, so we've got four levels of courses, I suppose. We've got a part one course, which is the sort of basic introductory course, which um, should cover most things that you need with younger children. 
That is actually a self-paced online course, so anybody can do that at any time, and you have access for six months. So you can do it in a day, or you can do it over six months, as you like, and you get feed, you do assignments, and you get feedback on those within a couple of weeks. Um, so that's that's the main one, which is obviously available to anybody, anywhere. Then we've got a practical applications course that a colleague has developed, which is using the same um, information that you've already learned from the part one course, but actually it's much more thinking, how do I use this in schools? How do I use this with the, in the curriculum? So it's actually how to apply it in a lot of different settings and a lot of different ways. So lots of practical ideas. And then there's a part two course, which is looking much more at the complex structures. So actually, how do I code these more complex structures? How do these structures work? How might I teach these? And then there is also a train the trainer course um, for anybody who wants to run the part one course um, in their setting. So but we've only run that once so far. So um, that's a, another option. And currently they're all being run by Zoom. Um, so they were face to face. We're running them by Zoom and we've split them into two half days. Um, and we're usually doing them on two mornings because actually Australians seem to be quite keen on coming more than the Americans. So it seems to be more worthwhile doing two mornings, which is your your evenings, um, than doing two afternoons to get the American mornings. So um, we'll, we'll try and alternate them a bit. But at the moment, there seems to be more demand from your side of the world than from America. So, so yes, yeah, so it'd be two half days a week or two apart. For most of those. Great. Well, thank you so, so much for sharing your expertise, Susan. I have to say um, it's such a great intervention strategy. I work with children with uh, DLD and hearing impairment. So it was interesting to hear you mention that that group of children with hearing impairment seemed to uh, get quite good results from this um, approach. And I would say just anecdotally from our approach at our school, we're getting some amazing, amazing outcomes. Um, it's just a really great strategy that we've found really useful. Um, so thank you so, so much for joining me. No problem. Thank you. And thank you so much to everyone for listening. Uh, for any listeners who are keen to learn more about developmental language disorders, please head to the Learning Hub on the Speech Pathology Australia website. Uh, a new DLD self-paced learning program has recently been released with two of the five modules being free for Speech Pathology Australia members. So that's well worth checking out. Um, I noticed when I completed the first module that some of Susan's students from Morehouse School and College actually featured, which was nice to see. Um, thanks again uh, for tuning in and we will be back in your ears again next Wednesday. Thanks again, Susan. No problem. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and bye for now.